today's guest has the ability to take the painful and the joyful and create word pictures that we can both hear and feel, learn from, and grow from. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today's guest is Celillian Green. She is an attorney, a speaker, a teacher, a mediator, and today she's here to share her poetry. Celillian Green, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you for having me. So, Lillian, I've got to ask you a question. You have so many communication skills at your disposal in so many different arenas. Why poetry? Well, poetry, I would say, is not my choice. It's my, my gift, my blessing, um, and that it was given to me as a tool, a vehicle, if you will, to to speak in a way that I think people are able to hear because oftentimes a poem is not threatening and that uh, the rhythm of the poems, I like to think, invite the, uh, the listener in so that they actually are learning from it in the rhythm of it. So it is a way that you speak from your heart to others. Yes, and it's a way I feel that the Creator has given to me to um, to communicate messages. I think of hope, healing, truth, love, spirituality, and and I'm feel I feel blessed to even have the uh, the opportunity to do it because for me poems didn't start to come to me until 2005. So when they did start to come, I was surprised by them, but they have really been a space of clarity for me in terms of why I'm really on the planet. And so although I have these other communication tools, as you say, at my disposal, I feel that the one that is the most important has been the poetry in many respects. Although certainly the poetry is informed by the fact that I have training as an attorney, I feel that the poems reach people in a way that the other aspects of my communication skills may not. Gotcha. I'd like for you to start sharing some of your poetry with this uh, hands-on experience. Can you tell us what that's about? Well, hands-on experience is um, a poem written in the voice of a person who is an abuser. We hear about domestic violence, but we don't hear it in the voice of the abuser um, about what they think they might be able to do. Well, share that with us if you would hands-on experience. If I put my hands on you in a threatening way, get up, get out, don't stay. While there is a reason for my behavior, the reason is not in your favor. Indeed, the reason I threaten you really doesn't matter. Someone who batters is someone who batters. Of course, the reason may help you understand. In the meantime, I can't control my hands. Believe me, this is a signal I'm out of control. I'm clearly not connected to my soul. My reason is nothing for you to savor. Please do us both a favor. Believe in yourself and that you matter. Know that what I'm doing is not meant to flatter. If I put my hands on you in a threatening way, get up, get out, don't stay. This is a hands-on experience you don't deserve. This experience will only fray your nerves. If I put my hands on you in any unacceptable way, there is only one word for you to say, goodbye. Goodbye in whatever language you choose. Say goodbye before I further abuse. Don't wait for the violence to escalate. If you wait, it might be too late. If I put my hands on you, I can't control myself. I pose a danger to you, myself, and to anyone else. I need help to understand my deep emotional pain. 
My rage and my anger take me to the brink of being insane. I don't know what triggers my anger and rage. I want to stop before I reach another age. The problem is I've been angry for so very long time. No one seems to care what's on my mind. I want help. I desperately do. I'm afraid to seek help. Instead, I attack you. If I don't seek help and deal with my pain, we'll both suffer from my emotional drain. Until I seek help for my deep-seated pain, you will be the target where I aim. There's no excuse for me to treat you unkind, saying I'm sorry is not enough each time. If I hurt you once, I will hurt you again. There's no need for you to pretend. Don't pretend I've done nothing wrong. With me, you don't belong. You deserve to be treated like a queen, not with violence or words that demean. Do not accept my unacceptable behavior. Please do us both a favor. Leave. Leave and do not come back. You should not be attacked. When I choose to get help and clean up my act, if you're available, I'll make contact. Maybe then we can begin again. For now, let this be the end. I've said it before and I must say it again. If I put my hands on you in a threatening way, your life is in danger. Get out. Don't stay. You know, what's fascinating about this poem is that you have said in so many words uh, and so few words all at the same time, truly the essence of what happens when someone stays and the reason that they should go. Uh, I'm struck by a a few things that you said um, in Hands On. Believe in yourself and that you matter. Know that what I'm doing is not meant to flatter. And that, again, is such a powerful comment because it is so much of what draws the victim in and what keeps the victim in sometimes. Yes, yes. And I think um, the the notion of... um people who want to control you or who think that violence is the way to get you to do what they want. But it does require a level of self-esteem that is not at the highest for the person who is who is being uh, victimized, so that you don't believe that you matter or you don't think that there's something better than this. But what I really thought was interesting about how the poem came to me in the voice of the abuser. Yes. And um, that this is the person who recognizes the anger and the rage and being on the brink of being insane and wanting to do something, wanting to clean up their act, and if they do, then they'll make contact. So they are also taking responsibility for the behavior and telling the person that if I put my hands on you in a threatening way, your life is in danger. Get out. Don't stay. Again, there's so many powerful truths in in this piece. And you're right. The fact that it comes it came to you from the voice of the abuser is is very powerful. Because we tend, just as a society, we tend not to think about the abuser as being anything other than an abuser. And certainly he or she is that. But the fact that perhaps we don't pay enough attention to providing programs and services and treatment for abusers. Right, and I think that that's part of it, too, because in this particular poem, the poem, the, the the abuser is saying, if I don't seek help and deal with my pain, we'll both suffer from emotional drain. So until I seek help for this deep-seated pain, you will be the target where I aim. So they're recognizing there's a need for some help, and where would they get this help? So I think that the um, the abuser is very, very um, aware that there is something wrong, but they don't have the, the tools to deal with it, and they're trying their best to tell the the, the victim 
please leave. Leave. There's only one word for you to say to me. That's goodbye. And I, I can't imagine that this poem hasn't struck folks who have been in an audience as you have read this poem. What's that experience been like for you? Well, actually, it's been really positive. I actually read it at um, different events, of course, but I've also um, been approached about the poem years later by someone who saw me and said, um, I have my hair in a different hairstyle, so the person wasn't certain if it was me. <laughs> and so she said to me, she said, do you have a poem that says if I put my hands on you? I said, in a threatening way. She said, I remember that poem. And that was so powerful for me because I had not seen this woman since whenever she saw me read it, it was easily a couple of years. But she remembered that if I put my hands on you in a threatening way. And then I've read it at... Um, at a law at Howard Law School um, some years back for the um, the family law class, and the instructor was really struck by the fact that it was in the voice of the abuser, which you don't often hear. And I think that if we recognize that abusers can see that they have a problem, and how do you reach out to the abuser to get them the kind of help that they will need so they can stop being an abuser and and move forward into this space of the ultimate healing that will take them from wanting to victimize others. And that's Howard Law School in Washington D.C. Yes. My and, alma mater, as a matter of fact. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, you know, one of the other um, pieces to this whole um, horrifying crime that so many people are victimized by is that it is the abuser who must say, I need help. The person who's being abused doesn't have the power to fix the abuser, change the abuser, and certainly hasn't created the abuser. And people aren't born. Um, abusive. They learn how to be abusive. So clearly there are two sides, but that does not mean that if you are being harmed, understanding uh, that someone needs help doesn't mean that you have to be their punching bag or their pincushion until they get help. Right, right. And, the, and obviously the victim needs some help too because you wouldn't tolerate it but so long if this, was, if this turned out to be what was going to happen in the relationship. So the uh, both parties need help. But I really feel like in, in this particular instance, this poem, the abuser, the abuser speaking, is I think a very powerful space for um, the victim to hear, the audience to hear, that the abuser is recognizing there's some space in the abuser that uh, needs healing, and the abuser recognizes that and wants to get help and deal with the pain. Have you ever uh, read this poem in front of an audience of high school or college? Well, you were at Howard University, uh, but but high school students? No, I haven't read it to a high school audience. Well, unless they were in um, a venue. Was it, it wasn't at a high school. No, I've never okay. read it at a high school in particular. I, I would think that this would be very powerful um, in that arena because we know that so many times in high school there's a great deal of abuse and People don't name it as such, um, don't treat it as such. So I would ask that you really think about some high school work. Well, I'm open to invitations to <laughs> places where that could possibly take place. Sounds good. So, Lillian, there's another poem that you have on domestic violence, uh, Just Enough. Can you share that with us? Well, actually, Just Enough is not domestic violence. Just Enough is about love. I was trying to um, alternate them so they would have space, but I could do the other one that is about um, domestic violence. It's called Encore. Please do. Encore. I invited you into my theater, my life, showed you my tears, which you gently wiped. 
prime seats with no obstructions. I didn't foresee any destruction. I enjoyed having you in my theater of my life. I gladly agreed to become your wife. Naturally, you joined me on center stage. I expected us to happily turn life's page. Hand in hand on center stage, when the curtains closed, then came your rage. Your rage I could not foresee. When the curtains opened, you bowed with me. For the packed audience, we were all smiles. I used makeup to cover your violent style. The backstage violence, we hid it well. My friends would ask, but I wouldn't tell. Instead, curtain call after curtain call, together we answered them one and all. I gave you an encore in my life. I forgave you for the pain and strife. Until one day I thought about taking your life. Then I knew I could no longer be your wife. Your violence had gone too far. You completely forgot that I'm the star. This show is closing with tomorrow's matinee. Tomorrow my life begins a brand new day. Prepare for your final act. I can take no more of your brutal attacks. The curtain will close once and for all. I have taken my last fall. There will be no more battles for us to wage. I'm moving forward without your rage. I won't answer your request for an encore. Instead, I'll, instead I'll be leaving by the stage door. Without you is how I will turn life's next page, and my next curtain call will be on a different stage. Encore. That is beautiful, and that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for asking me. I, I, I like the metaphor of um, the stage and, and being an act that is portrayed and how oftentimes people are in these miserable, miserable marriages and there are things happening behind the scenes, behind the curtain, if you will, but that the violence begets violence. So that line in the poem where it says, until one day I thought about taking your life, and she knew she had to go. And um, so there will be no more encore. She is going to be leaving by the stage door. And life for many people is indeed a stage. Yes, it is. It really is. Yes. Let's turn to love. Let's turn to love, yes. So the poem, um, the first one I'd like to read is called Just Enough. Just Enough. Give me just enough love to wake me in the morning. Enough love to embrace the new day dawning. Give me just enough love to get me out of bed. Enough love to know I'm alive and not dead. A love that's relaxed and sublime. A love I can call on at any time. Give me just enough love to move me on my way. Enough love to know God heard me pray. Give me just enough love to stand straight and tall, enough love to last from winter through next fall. Give me just enough love to feel safe to cry, enough love to know when to say goodbye. Give me just enough love, that's all I ask. With enough love, I'll complete any task. Give me just enough love, no more, no less, enough love to feel I am truly blessed. Give me just enough love for my whole life through. If I have just enough for me, I'll have just enough for you. Just enough. If I have just enough for me, I'll have just enough for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say more about that. Well, I feel that, the, that there's a power in love and receiving love that allows you to give love. And all you need is just enough. It's not that love is going to be in and of itself enough. You just have to have it. And if you have just enough, you'll have just enough for other people too. So that's how I see it. I'm struck by the line um, where you say, feel safe enough to cry. Um, Certainly, um, there are many relationships in which the idea of being vulnerable just doesn't seem safe. 
Right. And I think when you're able to cry with a person, you really do feel a level of safety and security because everybody can't handle your tears. And um, and if they don't aren't able to comfort you, it's a, it leaves you with a space of hurt and um, and an insecurity about the person that you're with. So that I think we all know we have certain friends who you can do certain things with, and being able to cry with a person is a really important, I think, part of a relationship where you can be open and vulnerable, as you say, about what's going on in your life, and know that there is a space of compassion in this other person who can see your tears and um, allow you to cry those tears, but also be able to comfort you in those tears. The idea of allowing yourself to feel vulnerable in a relationship and being able to shed those tears, you know, as as you suggest, there are often times when people who are with you in that space don't know how to be there. And those are the times when someone may say, you shouldn't cry, you don't need to cry, um, I wouldn't cry about that. You know, any variation of that theme that the tears don't need to fall. And I would just, for those people who have a tendency to do that, I think you would agree, Salilian, that that's not helpful. And that it's important to recognize one's own discomfort with tears and vulnerability, not to try to shut someone else down. That is not empowering. Right, and I agree with you because I think part of the part of um, some cultural dynamics is that if you if you're crying, stop crying, or I'll give you something to cry for. Well, crying, like sneezing, is something that you really cannot control unless you've been taught. You can be taught not to cry but then you hold in until the dam breaks. A sneeze, you're not going to be able to stop. But I do recognize that there are people who are not comfortable with your tears because maybe they've been taught that if a person cries, well, then perhaps they're weak or there's something about that level of vulnerability that you can't um, handle or because you've been told that, well, if you cry, your tears are not going to mean anything, so why should anybody else's tears mean anything? But I feel like this is the water purification system that the Creator has given us, and if you begin to cry, you have something to cry for. And you're not an actress, so that if you if the tears begin to flow, you have to allow them to come because they're going to help with the the internal cleansing that is going on within you. And the people who are not able to um, handle your tears and be able to comfort you in your tears, you might have to reevaluate that person's space in your life, particularly if you feel like there'll be a circumstance where you might need to cry. Uh, water purification system, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh, definitely. I think the. Um, the body is really very fascinating in terms of what it um, does to help you get rid of certain things and to help with the own with your internal healing process. Like the sneezing is is designed to clear out impurities that are in, that are in your system. Tears do the same thing, and the, and the fact that the water is salty, I think, is really important too. When you cry, your tears are salty. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Men don't often have permission to cry. When you think about crying, are you talking about women? Are you talking about men? Are you talking about everyone? Well, I'm talking about everyone. I think that the dynamic of the tear is for all of us. And one of the things that you can recognize in um, in events where people are really happy that they started, they were so happy that they started to cry. He was so, He or she was so moved that they were brought to tears. Everybody recognizes the power of tears. 
the people who want to shut down your tears, they have something internally amiss, I think, in them that they can't accept it. But we all recognize that there's something so powerful about the tear or tears, if you will, whether it comes from a man or for a woman. A person gets so choked up, and even the men who seek to try and and stop it from happening, they know that there is a power and there's something within them that is so powerful that it has produced tears, and they need to release them because that that um, that emotional sensation, if you will, that feeling that is going on in them has produced what the Creator has provided for the ultimate of a release, which is in the form of the water for purification, that is the tear. So I think it's for men and for women. And so for those folks listening, who, uh, which are likely more men than women, who are saying, I don't cry, I can't cry, I never cry, uh, Perhaps you can hear this as an encouragement to allow yourself to be human. The ability to allow yourself to cry is actually not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of health, and it is a sign of strength. I agree, and I think that men who are saying they don't cry, they don't cry now because every child you come into the world bringing tears with you. So at some point you were taught that you should not cry, and so you've trained yourself to to, um, suppress the emotion which is not healthy. So I agree with you totally. The poem, Because I Love You, can you share that with us? Yes. Um, Because I Love You is the first uh, poem that I've ever wrote. Before um, I was even uh, trying to write poems, Because I Love You came to me as a children's book, and that's what I was writing it um, to be, a children's book, with no thought that that I had other poems in me. And in fact, I would read this poem at, various events, babies, blessings, church anniversaries, weddings, and people would invariably ask me for my other poems, and I would say, well, I'm not a poet. I don't have other poems. And then the the dam burst and the poem started. (laughs) So Because I Love You is really the heart of me, and I think it's because I have this poem that I have all the others. Ah. So it's Because I Love You. Because I love you, I thank God for the day of your birth. Because I love you, I help you grow and know your self-worth. Because I love you, I show my commitment to you every day. Because I love you, I believe in you, come what may. Because I love you, I love you whether near or far. Because I love you, I accept you as you are. Because I love you, I treat you with respect and dignity. Because I love you, I ask God to teach me to love you faithfully. Because I love you, I listen to you with my ears, eyes, and heart. Because I love you, I miss you when we're apart. Because I love you, I love you from head to toe. Because I love you, I tell you and everyone I know. Because I love you, I value that you're one of a kind. Because I love you, I encourage you to speak your mind. Because I love you, I wipe away your tears. Because I love you, I trust God to erase your doubts and fears. Because I love you, I spend time with you. Because I love you, I share what I have with you. Because I love you, I nurture you with tender, loving care. Because I love you, I cherish you as precious and rare. Because I love you, I love you no ifs, ands, or buts. Because I love you, I tell you the truth, no matter what. Because I love you, I kiss you and hold you in my arms. Because I love you, I keep you safe from harm. Because I love you, I pay attention to how you feel. Because I love you, I show you my faith in God is real. Because I love you, I laugh, cry, and sigh with you. Because I love you, I share who I am with you. Because I love you, I tell you I'm sorry when I'm wrong. Because I love you, I try not to be away from you for very long. Because I love you, I forgive you when you hurt my feelings. 
because I love you, I support you when you need emotional healing. Because I love you, I comfort you when you stumble or fall. Because I love you, I answer when you call. Because I love you, I understand when you need some space. Because I love you, I encourage you to live life at your own pace. Because I love you, I pray with you and for you to God above. Because I love you, I ask God to bless you with joy, peace, and more love. Because I love you. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. That's my, that is my heart poem. That's the poem that is the heart of me. And I, I know that without that one, I do not have another one. So Lillian Green, who wears many hats, but today she is sharing her poetry. So Lillian, you wrote a poem entitled Hi. Can you share that? Hi. Oh, hi. Wait a minute. Okay, I don't have to look at that one. But hi is um, it's a really short poem to say hi. If you don't say hi, you've already said goodbye. That's it. <laughs> if you don't say hi, you've already said goodbye. And that is a that poem for me. Thank you for asking about that poem because I speak all the time to people when I see them, and I, and it's um, it's really important to say hi because you don't even recognize that if you're not acknowledging the other person's humanity, you have said goodbye. So there's nothing that can ever take place between the two of you because you haven't done the work to say hi. And there are um, there are three words that are already spelled out in the alphabet: the letter I, like I am. The word hi, H-I, and the word no, N-O. And I have, um, for people who have difficulty saying no, I have a really short poem called No. Please read that. No is a very powerful word. It sits in the middle of the alphabet undisturbed. L-M-N-O. Add a P and an E if need be. Because some people can't take the power of no, so you have to soften it and say nope. Not gonna do it. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. So thank you for asking about that. Those are my little fun poems. I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the um, things that that I think about when I I hear high and when I read high um, was the notion that it is important to see yourself and to see others, and the idea of being seen is so critical. And often so difficult. Yeah, it is. And I, I I think, too, that we're living more in a time where people don't just acknowledge the basic humanity of others so that when you see them, um, when you see another person, you don't speak. Obviously, now people have their phones and they're looking and they're distracted. But prior to all of this, just the basic of saying hi, good morning, when you pass someone, had really been beginning to wane in any event. But I think that the more we are able to acknowledge the humanity of others, the better we become as human beings. The more that we are able to acknowledge the humanity of others. In these days, that sometimes feels like a, a critical order, but a really tall order. And it's, But it's unfortunate that it's becoming a tall order because the less we acknowledge the humanity of others, the worse it is going to be for our country and for the world because that means you are better able to demonize them as some other that is not quite human. And unfortunately, this country in particular has a history of having, with respect to black people, people of African descent who were enslaved, literally put into the U.S. Constitution that they would deem 
um, the enslaved people, the black people, as three-fifths of a human being for purposes of representation in Congress. So we really have to be ever mindful of the importance of acknowledging the humanity lest we fall down the slippery slope of um, the demonization and what can come with that. I have to ask you about today's current political climate, um, social, emotional, political climate. So many times what we hear are poems of anger uh, and despair and exhaustion and you name it. But I don't hear that in your poetry. Well, uh, right now, my my spirit is not bringing me anything to address what is currently happening. It's um, it's as if though, for me, spirit is saying, do not um, give this energy of of our spirit, because I think the Creator has cycles, and certainly in this country there have been cycles of behavior, and that a correction is going to take place, but it won't come from the the words that I'm writing, they're not coming, and, I, and I'm actually gratified by that because I don't, once I get um, poems, excuse me, once poems begin to make their way through me, they are in me, mm. and, um, and I'm feeling them in a way physically that requires me to be with that energy for a period of time, certainly until the, the poem is gone, and then um, until I finish writing it, but then it will stay there because I have already been through whatever it was needed to produce it. And I, I really feel like there's something very powerful in the fact that I'm not being brought anything to address what's currently happening. So Lillian, how do people find out more about you and what you're doing? Well, they can check my website, which is my name, um, com, and that's spelled C-E-L-I-L-L-I-A-N-N-E-G-R-E-E-N. Dot com. It's all one word, com, And they can email me through my website. Terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your creativity and your spirit and your time with us here today on Mind Talk. Thank you for having me. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is available on demand by going to mindtalk.org. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today, so do send an email to me at Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org, M-Y-N-D-T. T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And don't forget to go to the homepage and sign up to be entered into our free weekly giveaway. And again, that's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then that's what it is. Unacceptable. You take care. <laughs>